to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today we have a special guest for you, Robert Bogus. Robert is the CEO and Chief Strategist for IREXA Financial Services and Wealth Strategies. He has been helping investors build, manage, and preserve financial wealth for over 30 years. His focus is developing innovative, tax-efficient investment strategies. So welcome to the show, Bob. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having us. So I would love to hear a little bit more about your background, if you can sure. sh- please share and you know how you got started in real estate. Okay. So I started out going to school to become an architect. And I practiced architecture predominantly until the early 80s, at which time I started doing some developing. And as part of the architectural practice, one thing led to another, and I started selling the properties that I was developing. I found out that I really like doing deals, probably more than drawing. So over time, my business morphed into more of a uh, a real estate business. Uh, The development kind of fell uh, by the wayside. And predominantly what I was doing was a lot of investment properties with actually there was a segment, uh, owner user properties where I might have an owner of the property that was actually using the property for their own business. They got to the point where they retired, so they had converted their owner-user property into an investment property, a de facto investment property. They'd bring a tenant in. And there was a period of time at the end of the century, that's a funny way of saying that, at the end, <laughs> where interest rates were declining from the 80s, and there was a disconnect between interest rates and valuation. So I could go work with the tenant, Uh, generally using an SBA loan, 10% down loan, and get a reduction in their lease payment by them buying the property. I could also go to the owner, and because of this disconnect between valuation and interest rates and that, generally provide them with more money than they thought that the property was worth. So it became a nice little niche that I worked on for about four or five years until the early uh, 2000s. About that time, I uh, got my CCIM designation, which for people practicing in the real estate world, that's a great designation to have. And in 2005, I got solicited by uh, a company in Denver, Colorado, Welton Street Investments to sell tenant in common interests, fractional interests of uh, real estate in a tenant in common format. Uh, that went on um, through the uh, downturn in 2008. And during that time period from 2008 to about 2010, I rounded out my, uh, what I would call my education in this realm uh, and started offering a more full service package of financial planning around real estate and tax strategies and things like that. Subsequent to that, I developed a financial planning protocol that I call strategic tax mitigation the purpose of which is to help clients optimize their taxes. In other words, pay only what you're legally obligated to pay. The uh, 1031 exchange is a uh, prime example of that. 
wherein you can sell one property and in an integrated transaction buy another property and in so doing defer the gain from the relinquished or the property you sold defer that gain into the property that you're buying the replacement property and uh if you do this enough time essentially you you're about half of the money or more that you have is really uncle sam's money and um it just seemed like a a great thing and so i've been concentrating on that as a major portion of the um a strategic tax mitigation but we look at look at other things we look at ordinary income we look at passive income we look at how you allocate your stocks where your stocks are where your real estate is things like that there's just a a, a whole range of things that you can do to operate in a more tax efficient manner the major thing that we do right now is oriented to 1031 exchanges primarily in a DST Delaware statutory trust format the Delaware statutory trust is actually version 2 of the fractional ownership investment type uh version 1 was the tenant in common investment that was uh the primary investment type from 2007 uh sorry 2002 to about 2007 2008 when the mar- market collapsed and within that market collapse there's a realization that the tenant in common in my opinion the tenant in common investment had some fundamental flaws that weren't anticipated in the structure of the investment namely that uh, certain uh, decisions had to be made in a unanimous fashion and things like that and when you have a property that's under stress and a number of property owners it's really a challenge to get everyone to agree and as a result of that were a number of properties that probably failed that may not have had to have failed if they were under a single ownership so in any case the tenant in common ownership format went away and the most common format now is the Delaware statutory trust format the investment is really suitable for uh investors that are tired of uh hands on management uh as we like to say no more t- toilets tenants and trash of uh, uh for some people who are still in the empire building phase of their career it's not a suitable investment but if you are past that and are willing to become a passive investor it works really well you can diversify normally in the Delaware statutory trust investment the minimums are $100,000 so if you have uh 3 or 4 or 500,000 you can diversify into 3 or 4 or 5 properties you might not want to because the the qualities of the properties but you do have that ability so the um major thing that we do with that is we help clients build portfolios that enable them to diversify in um their product type uh through different asset classes different locations meeting different goals and objectives uh the market has uh recently as a result of covid gotten a little bit more challenging uh, and i think this is pretty common with the uh, real estate marketplace itself that good investments are are challenged to find uh, we find that there's cap rate compression which means that yields become lower uh the quality of the investment has uh, diminished slightly so we've gone out and look for sources of investments outside of our normal channels uh through the broker dealer community as we were talking before the podcast about what you guys are doing 
And uh, so now we've found a number of sponsors that have the ability to, no matter what the structural formation of their investment, they have the ability to carve out 1031 slices for our investors. And some of these deals are actually quite appealing. Uh, uh, some with development, uh, some roundup development, some uh, repurposing, some slight uh, development light, if you will. And as a result, we think we can d- deliver better yields than normal in our uh, DST marketplace. So that's what we do. Awesome. Thank you so much for that background, Rob. So for the Delaware Statutory Trust, you know, how does that kind of, you know, if you're looking to get started in it, how do you kind of set that up? And then what does that structure kind of look like in terms of wanting to fund a deal? Well, from our perspective, there are a number of sponsors in the broker-dealer community that do this as their main course of business. There are probably about 35 sponsors bringing products to the market. The Delaware Statutory Trust is primarily set up to provide 1031 opportunities on a fractionalized basis. So if you're doing syndications where 1031s are not a major portion of your capital resource uh, pool, you probably wouldn't want to go through the brain damage. But if you're you're seeking out 1031 investors on a fractional basis, then uh, a DST might be a way to go, or even a tenant in common uh, would be a way to go. And for that, there are a number of securities attorneys that can help develop those sorts of documents that allow you to, uh, to operate under, under those ownership formats. And so, you know, as you're getting started in, in something like this, you know, what are some of like the major things that you should be considering before you get uh, started with a Delaware statutory trust? Well, I think that the major issue that we see is that there are a lot of fees. And so to, as a syndicator, if you're developing assets, that's something you have to be mindful of and, and weigh the opportunities. So you're looking at, on one hand, a resource pool of 1031 investors, which is a kind of constrained resource pool, or say like friends and family. So if you have a friends and family basis that you're doing syndication from, you might not look at a Delaware statutory trust. You might do a straight on syndication or a partnership, an LLC or something like that. I think it's a huge workout. It's probably beneficial if, if your only resource for capital is through 1031 investors. Got it. And so, you know, with that, is there a limited number of investors that you're able to accept as a 1031? In the uh, the uh, prior world, the tenant in common, it was limited to 35 investors. But with the Delaware Statutory Trust, it's on the order of four or 500 investors. So from a practical limit, it's unlimited. Got it. And so, you know, as we're getting started with this, what are some of the common questions that, you know, typical investors would ask for um, as they're getting started with this? I think that when you getting into a passive investment, one of the concerns is who am I investing with? So I think there's a due diligence required of the sponsor, understanding what their track record is, uh, their approach to real estate, goals and objectives, all of those sorts of things. And then also look at fees. In our world, the fee structure, as a matter of fact, we've developed a spreadsheet that we use to illustrate just this exact point, but the fee structure can range by, uh, differ by a factor of 10. So we use um, a shorthand to, to understand the fee structure. We compare the cap rate without fees plus the cap rate 
against the cap rate with fees. And we'll see, we call it the cap rate differential. And we might see, um, well, we can see it a factor of 10 times. And so we look at the, the, the higher price uh, fee structures and we don't show those. We don't sell them. And we, we really look towards the, uh, the sponsors that are competent sponsors that we believe will do a good job, but don't overcharge. Got it. And as you're utilizing all these other different strategies, you know, what are some of other than the fees? Were there any other like major things that we need to be focusing on as we're getting started with this? Not just well, with the fees. Um, there's the entire range of real estate due diligence. You know, so we like to, for example, in, in multifamily, uh, we like places that people are moving to. So we like this, the sunshine states, uh, southeast, south, southwest. We like non-income tax states. We like deals that have an add value component. And it depends on the level of add value. Is it, is it add value that you can undertake on the rollover of tenants? Or is it something more uh, complicated and more invasive that uh, requires actually vacating the part of the property? So I think as part of your due diligence that you really want to understand the asset, the location, those sorts of things. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. And are there any, I guess, challenges that you need to face if, as you're looking to get into a 1031 exchange or utilizing some type of tax strategy like this? <clears throat> well, the 1031 exchange, if, if you read the code, is really simple. But the devil is in the details, as they say. And so with a 1031 exchange, very simply, there are a number of rules. The first is a timing rule. So from the date that you sell your relinquished property, the closing date, you have 45 calendar days to nominate however many properties you're going to nominate according to the nomination rules. And you have 180 days from the sale of calendar days from the sale of the relinquished property to complete your exchange by closing on the uh, replacement properties. Unless, of course, that 180th day is after April 15th and you file your taxes on April 15th. In the case that you file your taxes on April 15th, that becomes the effective 180th day. So if you're in an exchange, for example, you might always want to extend your taxes. And then from a nomination standpoint, and to nominate a property, you have to have an unambiguous description. So that could be uh, the northwest corner of 4th and Main of uh, the property and some little description. But more commonly, it's a a legal description, or an address. And in the case of a, a Delaware statutory trust or other fractional interest property, you have to put the percentage interest you're acquiring. 
And that letter needs to go to your qualified intermediary or exchange accommodator. Those terms are synonymous. I prefer qualified intermediary because I'm a shorthand guy and I can say QI. Uh, so your QI needs to get that document uh, by midnight on, on the 45th calendar day. And they just plug it in the file. And now you've nominated. And the nominating rules are you can nominate up to three properties of any value. So that seems pretty straightforward. The uh, But if you want to nominate more than three properties, then you can nominate any number of properties as long as the placement value is not greater than 200% of the relinquished value. So if you sold a, a property for a million dollars, under the 200% rule, you could buy up to $2 million. So a million nine hundred ninety-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine point nine nine. If you bought something that was a little more than that, you would no longer be in the 200% rule. You'd be in the 95% rule. And the 95% rule says that you can nominate any number of properties that you want as long as you close on 95% of the fair market value. And that, if you think about it, that seems, to me, that seems really odd. But what happens is if you were uh, selling an all cash property, and that all cash property was, we'll say a million dollars. So now we've got this slightly under $2 million number. And if you nominate up to three properties, it doesn't matter. But if you nominate more than three properties, and let's say you nominate, uh, well, let's say that those, pro- let's say you nominate two assets and each one of the assets is a portfolio. So now each portfolio has more than one property. And so more likely than not, you have more than three properties. So you've only nominated two assets, but you may have nominated 20 properties. And now, and those two two portfolios that you're nominating have a loan to value greater than 50%. Automatically, even though you've only nominated two assets, you're in the 95% rule. So you would be obligated to buy both of those properties if you nominated them both. And we, uh, yesterday, day before yesterday, we had a meeting with a client where what the client wanted to do was nominate some portfolios. And we ran into that exact issue. And it was a little bit of a challenge to get the client to understand the ramifications of what they wanted to do. But, you know, we worked through it and and got it solved. Ultimately, if you're using the 95% rule, what we try and do is close on the transaction before the 45th day so that we know that we're going to get the properties that we nominate rather than running the risk of not getting the properties. The reason is very simple. With nomination rule one, the three property rule, if you don't use, well, let me back up. So to fully defer your gain, you need to use all of the money and go equal or up in debt. It's real simple. Um, On the three property rule, if you don't go equal or up in debt and you don't use all the money, you have tax. It's uh, called boot. It's either mortgage boot or cash boot. In the 200% rule, same thing. If you don't use all the money or go equal or up in debt, you have mortgage boot or tax boot. In the 95% rule, if you don't comply with the rule, you blow up your exchange. High likelihood of blowing up the exchange. So it's very it's very dangerous, uh, especially if your goal is to uh, not pay taxes at this time. So what happens if you don't meet those 45 and the 180 day rules? What happens to your uh, uh, deal after that? Uh, the exchange blows up. So if you don't nominate anything by the 45th day, 
and on demand by you, you can get your money back out of the exchange on the 46th day. If you nominate something and don't close on it, use all of the money. So, well, let's just say you nominate one property for half of the money and don't even close on it. The accommodator has to keep your money for 181 days through the exchange period because during that time period, you could close it. So it's the timing is really crucial. The timing, it's calendar days. It can only be changed by an emergency deemed to be an emergency by the president. So it's just fairly strange. But And you can understand why. The IRS is trying to collect taxes. So if you don't follow the rules, they want their money. That makes sense. So what you said was the portfolio is also just considered one asset, regardless of how many assets are in, how many properties well, I, are inside I, that I portfolio. Call, I'm sorry. Sorry for interrupting. I call that an asset, but the asset is comprised of a number of properties. So you count the number of properties. Now there is, I've heard some rumblings of getting that changed, but I don't know. I can't comment it other than saying I heard some rumblings. But at this point, a portfolio of three properties is three properties. Got it. Thank you so much for sharing that. So then were there any other questions that we should kind of be thinking about as we're getting started in this that we haven't kind of covered? Well, I think with uh, any decision, you have to think about whether to go down the DST route or to stay in the direct investment approach. You really have to look at it from the standpoint of whether or not you can be a passive investor. And uh, there's some people who can, people who are earlier in their career clearly are, in my opinion, are still trying to build their empire. Uh, The DST is generally not an empire empire building device. It's more about stabilized cash flow, ready, steady income, no surprises, that sort of thing. That said, we have some properties that we've got that have development components, and those do have the opportunity to build one's empire a little further. And so we expose those properties to people who are on the fence about being a passive investor or not being passive. And we get reasonably good traction with that because they're thinking, well, there's upside, but I don't have to do it myself. That seems to be attractive. And so for you and your company, Bob, what is next for you and your next focus? Well, we're looking at it from the standpoint of getting more involved, perhaps participating as a sponsor or something on that order. We like to, uh, rather than just be a broker, we'd like to be uh, principals. And so we're looking into that. I'm not sure if we'll make it this cycle or not. Probably we'll wait for the downturn and then catch it on the next cycle. But I think that that's, that's always an opportunity. And then we are spreading out into other areas that will allow us to provide a broader range of financial services for our clients. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. And so for you, Bob, how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? I think it's a great career. I love what I do. I get up in the morning. I'm pretty excited. I think it's amazing to have a job where the goal is to help your clients do better. And as a result, it's really a win-win situation for everyone. We're really agnostic about what we provide our clients. We're not, we don't so much as sell as, as we provide information. We find that better informed investors are better investors. We like to disseminate information, allow the investors to make the decision. And if we give them the right information, we know that they'll make the right decision. And whether we're involved or not involved, it's still, I think it's still important to pass that forward. 
So we'd like to be involved, but obviously, but we understand that sometimes uh, somebody might come to us uh, thinking they could do passive and ultimately they're not a passive investor. But we'll provide information on 1031 exchanges and help with that regard. It's just, it's just part of what we do. And what is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? Whoa, that's a very... I guess the one thing that I know now is that I wish I had purchased one. Where, where would you like to have purchased? Well, it's, in, it's interesting. I live in Seattle. I work in Seattle. Seattle is, for me, a hard market. Most of my clients... As a matter of fact, how we got into the... Uh, my company got into the uh, web world or the virtual world of real estate is uh, one January, I was looking at what I was going to be doing for the year, kind of planning things out. And I thought I should reach out to all my real estate clients and uh, see what kind of uh, business we could do that year. In about a nanosecond and a half, I realized they all were in DSTs and no longer were in real estate. And I thought, I should probably figure out a different way of approaching clients. So I built a web business, a virtual business, an AdWords business, and a lead generation business, and uh, changed the way I do things. You know, we have clients from Virgin Islands to Hawaii, uh, all, I imagine, 40 out of the 40 or 50 states. And it's, it's really quite a good business. And what is one thing that sets the successful people apart in the real estate investing business? I think real estate is a patient business. And I think it's a very analytical business. So if you have information with analysis and you have the patience to do it, I think you can do very well. So Bob, do you have any tools or techniques that you've used in your life or in your business that you can share with us today? I think one of the things that sets our firm apart from most of the other firms out there. Uh, we're very analytical. I think it's pretty rare in the uh, business realm that we are in, the, the broker-dealer world. Everything is based on analyzing all of the properties that we have. We have, or I've developed some spreadsheets that I use and analytical tools that allow me to really shortlist the, the group of properties we're working on. And from that, uh, we have a portfolio builder that we use that will allow clients to know about what they're getting into, the yields, the, the benefit of depreciation, whether or not they've complied with their 1031 exchange. And so from that side, the analysis side, I, I feel really good about it. The other thing that I think that's really important for us is we try and listen. And it's more than just uh, talk. We find that if we can understand what our clients are trying to accomplish better, then we can provide better level of service. And that sort of, uh, I don't know, empathy or just uh, trying to help our clients achieve their dreams. I think that's really the thing that fulfills uh, me and my business. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing. And I really appreciate that. And definitely appreciate you coming on to the show and sharing what you do and what your company does and giving us a really great background of what the 1031s exchanges are and the Delaware Statutory Trust. I think there's quite a lot that we can learn from today's episode. And so I really appreciate you sharing all of your knowledge today. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. And as, as I discussed with you uh, prior to starting this, I have a deck on um, DSTs and 1031s that I use for a prior webinar that I'd be more than happy to make available. It has my contact information and all of that sort of thing that your listeners can, uh, I suppose they can reach out to you and, and you can forward it to them. And that will give them something in writing where they can see a little bit more about DSTs and 1031s. And of course, 
my contact is, information is there. They can reach out to me uh, if they have any questions. Happy to do that. Absolutely. And if they wanted to reach out to you, Bob, where is the best place that they can go to find out more about you and your company? I have two websites, arexa.net, I-R-E-X-A.net is the financial services website. And then the 1031 website is irexa1031.net. That one is uh, more of a landing page where you fill out a form and we'll send you an inventory list of what's going on and then we'll reach out to follow up. So either of those work well. The main number that to reach me by via phone is 866-596-1031. Oh, wow. That's a really great number. <laughs> it's hard <laughs> to forget that one. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, yes. Awesome. But hey, by the way, thank you so much for uh, letting me speak. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to spend with us today. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.